Welcome to our Monday Night Memories. Uh, I guess it's a special presentation. Every time we do this, Nate, when brought to, the, brought to you by the Chariot uh, Auto Group and Nate Barrett and our good friend there and uh, fellow uh, uh, post-game football uh, uh, call-in show host with me, or he's the host and I'm just the, I'm just the peon, but I enjoy working oh. with Nate. And uh, Mark Montese, somebody I've known uh, I always kid him about it. I watched his team play in 1972 in Mackey Arena when he was a senior at Pike High School. Of course, Dave Wood and I and Mark have a common thread there. Mark wrote the book Passion Play. All Purdue fans that uh, are worth their salt know that that book, 1988, sorry, the 1988 season came out the year year uh, later, uh, or a little bit later than that, and actually presented an opportunity for me to work with bonus books on a book project. So that was, I'm always indebted to Mark for that. But Mark has seen it all. Nate, we have to, Nate is born, we have to, we were talking about this offline, born, has not lived through a Purdue Final Four appearance. He was born in 1980, but <laughs> not in March. So uh, mm -hmm. when the Watermakers made their, its most recent trip to the Final Four. So we're going to hit a little bit of that today and talk about not just this is not uh, a, a post-mortem so to say it's kind of just to look back at the history of of Purdue in the NCAA tournament and, and and certainly in the final four it has happened uh and and uh, we'll we'll kind of hit all those subjects and more today I want to go back and Nate I, I we would talked about this loss obviously losing losing to Fairleigh Dickinson as a number one seed, a very difficult loss for Purdue fans. Even in when you were eight years old, 1988, Purdue loses to Kansas State uh, in a game in the Sweet 16, also extremely painful. I'll start with you, Nate, just in your recollection. Which one was worse from your perspective? And then we'll talk to the guy that really had a lot, a lot on the nine line that night, Mark Monteith, and we'll explain that here in a second. But Nate, what do you, what do you think? Thank, thanks, Alan. And it's great to be with Mark, who just wrote a, a really wonderful piece uh, about all this uh, that you and I talked offline about, Alan, uh, shortly after the loss. But I, it's interesting, uh, Mark. I'm I'm just young enough to have uh, given a book report on your book, Passion Play, when I was in school. Yeah, <laughs> hey, so, all right. <laughs> uh, right. So I've I've come at this a long way, but because of my age, I told Alan where I come into the Purdue basketball fan story is that '88 season, and uh, and so the the morning after uh, that loss in the Silver Dome, I think for my generation of Purdue fans, uh, you know, everything flows from that moment. And so I was at a birthday party the night of the FDU game. And when it was over, a close friend of mine turned to me and said, is this the worst? And I said, no. I said, the, the Silver Dome Kansas State game is the worst. I said, yeah. because everything that's happened for our generation of Purdue fans in basketball moves from that moment. And, and so I, I would say, I'd start with that, Mark, just to say, you know, at 42, um, that moment, uh, I was, you know, such a Troy Lewis Todd Mitchell, Everett Stevens fan that you just, you knew we were going to the final four and, uh, and then it, did, it didn't happen obviously, but you, so that I thought your piece Mark spoke really well to the fact that this isn't just a, a momentary, certainly frustration. It's, it's, it's Purdue fans that have been uh, thinking about this for certainly at least deeply since that 88 year. Yeah. I, I think it does. A lot of the angst really does start there, uh, Mark, because even the 84 team that uh, was a surprise uh, 
uh, Katie's kids that won the Big Ten, you know, they had to play at Memphis, and there was no expectation of that team really to get to the Final Four uh, since since 1980. Mark, how do you view that? I mean, all I remember, I still, one of those things that's in my, in my brain, I can remember the, the look on your face uh, as we walked to the press conference after that game, uh, <laughs> and because uh, I think I was, I was seated down and working in the athletic department at the time, and you had put all that work in uh, to that year, and 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 not to mention, and not to make it worse, but Kansas, you know, teams kind of in some ways fell down, right? Uh, you had Kansas who didn't, who was a lower seed, though, or I, I mean, I guess however you word, word it, they did have a guy named Danny Manning, and, and then mm-hmm. you play a team you beat by twenty nine points in Kansas State, but uh, uh, maybe you wiped it from your memory, but uh, that that was uh, that was quite the experience that night at the Silver Dome. Yeah, it was. And I might, talking about, you know, where it all started for the angst Purdue fans feel, I might go back one year earlier to 87 when I and Purdue tied for the Big Ten championship, appeared to be equal teams, and IU gets sent to Indianapolis and goes on to win the national championship. Purdue has to go to Syracuse and winds up losing in the second round to a Florida team that later got put on probation. You know, a Florida team, frankly, that was cheating, you know, Vernon Maxwell (laughs) and Dwayne Shinsis on that team. You know, a lot of times when you are able to look back on something, you're able to get a better perspective of what actually occurred. And as far as the 88 season, when they lost to Kansas State in the third round, certainly was uh, a tough loss. You know, whatever look I had on my face, I think I felt worse for them than I did for myself. (laughs) You know, having witnessed what they had gone through. But you look back at that Kansas State team, they had the future NBA Rookie of the Year, Mitch Richmond. And he was better than any Purdue player that year. Uh, it was fluky that Purdue had won that game so easily during the regular season over K-State. K-State changed his approach to playing. You know, Lon Kruger changed his whole approach uh, to uh, the game that season uh, because of that Purdue game. And then, K- you know, Henson was another future NBA player on that K-State team. Uh you know, it's, it's still bizarre to look back on because I thought Purdue was in a perfect frame of mind going into that Kansas State game in 1988. I still remember the practice they had the day before, how enthused everybody was, how crisp they were, and uh, got off to a 10-0 lead, led yeah. by nine at the half. You know, that began my theory that you don't want to get off to a big lead early. You know, I've got this thing that some people might consider a hang-up, but I never want to see a team jump to a double-figure lead early because you know what they're going to get, get you know, lose it most likely. As long as the two teams are roughly equal in ability, you know, you, I think you're better off being behind 10 points early than you are ahead because, you know, then you got to really bear down. You know, you got to focus. You got to be just like in real life, if things aren't going well, you know, you, you need to focus. You need to try harder. And when things are going great, you tend to relax, right? Yeah. So the same thing in the basketball game. So that probably worked against them you know, to have that lead. But there were a lot of factors in that game, and it was certainly a heartbreak. I think that loss in 88 would be worse than the one this year because that team, in my mind, had a legit shot at winning the national championship. And I didn't think this year's team did. Even though it was the number one seed, I thought that was a great compliment to the regular season they had. I just didn't see a team with two freshman guards who weren't particularly athletic contending for a national championship. I know in my bracket – that I filled out beforehand. I had Purdue losing, I believe, in the third round. So I, I wasn't 
thinking they were going to get to the final four. So certainly it was a shock to lose that initial game. But whether you lose in the first, second round, third round, in the long run, what difference does it make in my mind? Yeah. Especially the way the tournament has evolved. And Chris, we're recording yeah. Friday afternoon. Zach E just named Associated Press National Player of the Year. Uh, that's one thing that this team had that that one didn't is, is, is that level of player, though. Certainly Troy Lewis, Todd Mitchell, first team, all Big Ten. I think Everett Stevens was seven, second. Mel McCants uh, talked to Kip Jones a couple of weeks ago, but he's still getting over it as, as well <laughs> from that standpoint. But uh, you have that one uh, there. All right, Nate, take now 1994. Mark, I would assume you were still with the Fort Worth, Fort Wayne paper in that time. No, I wasn't. I would have been uh, like with any that was news at that news, point. News, that's right, in 94. Yeah. Nate, uh, you know, again, again another, another uh, team that, had a great, you know, number one seed, had a great chance to go uh, deep. Len Robinson, as we've talked about in uh, 94, uh, hurts his back. I don't know if he was, there's always all kinds of urban legends of whether he's having a towel fight with Conzo Martin. I don't know what happened. Something happened. Uh, and Purdue doesn't lose that game, though. You lose to a blue blood in Grant Hill and Duke and and Jeff is it Jeff Capel right that had the unbelievable game in that game against Purdue. But uh, your memories of that one, Nate, and now, and now you're all, all 14 years old at that time. You, well, I you know I remember uh, certainly the Oster tag game in Kansas. Yeah, and, and yeah. Purdue wins that one, and I remember uh, our, our friend the late Larry Clisby. That you know Larry was still with the Channel 18 WLFI locally his day job during that time, and they put a big you know live show on from down there at Knoxville and had a lot of personalities on it and I just remember all the the hoopla that went along with that uh, for Purdue fans that had gone to what Lexington in the first couple of rounds and then on to to Knoxville of course you know Duke at that moment you know was in Mike Krzyzewski was very much in prime time there after they had won it all you know back to back a couple of years before and so uh, you know it was a great moment Conzo had really come on you know, and and I think, you know, Matt Waddell was able to do a lot of good things. Just the nucleus, Brandon was on that team. And uh, it was a special team. Glenn had done some incredible things in Mackey that year. And so I think that made people believe uh, a lot. But you just, you run into the Duke Blue Devils and then you throw, if Glenn had a, you know, a bad back that night, uh, you would have needed him at 100% probably to to get past Duke. Yeah, 13 points. I think he was limited to and uh Really struggled, though Purdue also led in that game, as I recall, Mark. I don't know what your memories were of that one, but uh, a huge Purdue contingent in Knoxville, like there was uh, in, in at the Pontiac Silver Silverdome as well. Yeah, uh, I didn't cover that game, but I was yeah. there. Uh, should be pointed out, Grant Hill did not have a good game either, and he didn't have an injury, but you look at that box score, he had a poor shooting game. So it's kind of up to other guys to fill in, and Duke's players just did, a, I guess, a better job of that. But it was certainly a big disappointment because, again, you've got the best player in the country. You think that can carry you quite a ways, and Conso was a great college player. So a big disappointment. You know, I wasn't as involved with that team, as close yeah. to it. But I certainly watched it on television and then did go to that game down in Lexington. If I remember right, I stayed with Steve Lavin. Uh, yeah. um, or Knoxville. He, it was in Knoxville. They played the first Knoxville, two. Knoxville. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so it's kind of fun to be there and not be covering the game, you know, but, yeah. um, uh, but it was a big disappointment. And yeah, Glenn Robinson was not himself. There's no question about that. There was some kind of back strain or whatever. Uh, and I guess that 
kind of feeds into the paranoia of Purdue fans that something always seems to go wrong, you know, yeah. something out of people's control. So I understand that feeling. And that was another example, I guess, of a team that uh, got people excited and didn't, didn't follow through with it. Yeah. And yet I, I don't know that that team, again, it did get to a number one seed. I don't think it was ranked if at all in preseason, it may be in the low twenties uh, and obviously won the big 10 uh, though they got a, it was they were fortunate to win the Big Ten. Michigan kind of really dropped the ball down, down lost to Northwestern. Uh, Purdue beat them in an unbelievable fashion up in up in uh, in Ann Arbor in a game. I think they were down seven with about two minutes to go. So it's one of those deals that uh, yeah, that one I I thought I still thought Purdue had a great chance to get to the Final Four, but I also thought uh playing duke is never an easy thing no matter what you're doing from that standpoint i wanted to go back to two other ones though when purdue did go to the final four and again before nate's uh nate's uh appearance on earth but uh mark you were you said a hall of 14 years old in 1969 the purdue played in and in, in, in national championship in louisville at louisville's freedom hall and 1980, obviously, Joe Barry Carroll and company, that team, a sixth seed, as I recall, gets to the Final Four. And kind of a similar Final Four, with the exception of Louisville being in that Final Four, as this year, where teams that were pretty high-seeded, Iowa, Purdue, uh, Louisville, and, of course, UCLA in that one. But uh, just any takeaways and any – any rel- I mean, you know, is this basketball very different at that point in time? I think only 24 teams in the 1969 tournament. And I think in the low 40s, maybe uh, for how many were in the 1980 term of market, you yeah. remember that? Yeah, 69, I just watched it on television. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm fortunate. I grew up in a family that didn't have any particular bias regarding colleges. My mom went to IU, my dad went to Butler, had a brother who went to Purdue. Uh, my dad didn't like IU, he liked Purdue. But so I, I just kind of liked whatever team was good growing up, you know, whether it's IU, Purdue, whatever. So I was a big fan of that Purdue team because it was so good. And it had, you know, of course, Billy Keller, Herb Gilliam, and Rick Mount, three future pros, three three, three guys who would play at least five years of pro basketball. Um, so it was a great team. Uh, it may not have won anyway, but it wasn't healthy for that last game. You know, Keller yeah. and Gilliam uh, had significant injuries that slowed them down. And, of course, Chuck Davis didn't play at all, and he was the guy Purdue really needed to go up against Lou Alcindor, but he had separated a shoulder in the first round of the tournament that year. So you got to have luck. And that's the thing that stands out to me is most championship teams get a break somewhere along the way. Either an opponent has an injury or a last second shot or whatever. Um, you know, that Purdue team did not have the luck it needed to get past UCLA, which may have won regardless. You know, again, Lou Alcindor, although to me that wasn't one of the great the UCLA championship teams, if that makes any sense. There were better ones than that one, I thought. But Al Cinder was far and away the best player in the country. Uh, Chuck Bavis could have helped neutralize him somewhat. If you have a healthy Herm Gilliam and Billy Keller, then it's a competitive game probably. And who knows how it turns out. Just didn't turn out the right way for Purdue fans. 1980, you know, Purdue got a break that year in that it began the tournament at Mackey Arena, right, Alan? Right, I mean, right. Two games, you know, right. back then, teams With LaSalle would and St. John's, yep. Yeah, you know, teams could play because the games weren't as well attended, I guess. College basketball wasn't as big a deal. They'd have teams play on their home floor, you know, in the tournament, which seems amazing today. But that Purdue team got a break. 
of, um, you know, getting to play two games at home. And then let's see, it went down, played IU. Now their excuse for that game was that Mike Woodson kind of wore down. He had yeah. been injured most of the year and came back and put on a great closing run to get Big Ten MVP. But I just remember Bob Knight saying after the game that, you know, Woodson just didn't have it anymore, just wore down. I remember Brian Walker stripping Isaiah Thomas of the ball at midcourt, yeah. getting a layup. And Isaiah, you know, future Hall of Famer, but he's a freshman, you know. Yeah. And then, so there's an experience factor that goes into that as well. But Lee Rose was a great coach. And, you know, he could certainly put a game plan together. And nice. that Purdue team, I thought, maxed out, you know, for the talent that it had. It had Joe Barry Carroll, of course. But, you know, nobody else on that team uh, played in the NBA or uh, uh, Keith Edmondson ended up being a first round pick, uh, but not playing very long. That's right. Uh, Keith Edmondson was an underclassman on that team. And uh, so, you know, it lost to UCLA, and UCLA had Kiki Vandaway, who was a very st- strong pro. Um, you know, it, it was right there, but it just didn't work out. You know, it got the break to be in the tournament uh, as far as it went. I think there was, wasn't there, Purdue beat Duke after it beat IU, and I think Duke had upset Kentucky. Is that right? right? I got to, I'll, yeah. I'll share a little story on that, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I got a break there too. You know, the, oh, absolutely. the seated team got knocked off. Yeah. I was a basketball manager on that team and we didn't all in the end back in those days and probably still the same way. You can only have two managers. I think I was only a sophomore. So I sat in the stands and all I remember is of course, Kyle Macy was who, who t- tore an open wound to Purdue fans because he was playing for Kentucky his senior year they lose. He misses, a, I believe, a last-second shot. They lose to Duke. And everybody thought it was going to be IU and Kentucky and the ticket prices back in the days. Yeah. It would be crazy. Ends up Purdue plays Duke in, in a, not empty, but roughly, it was, what, 23,000 peop- uh, seats. There was probably about 15,000 for that game. But yeah. the point is that, boy, Purdue, yeah, Duke ends up with Mike Jaminski uh, and Vince Taylor also from uh, from Lexington had big games in that. Uh, and uh, Purdue was able to play Duke and beat Duke in that game. But Bob Knight, as a manager, the great story of Bob ripping up the uh, – uh, he came out late. He had a technical, I believe, at the end of the first half against mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Indiana game, and he – Pour up the water coolers in their in their locker room, uh, as they say, and had a large temper tantrum at halftime. Uh, <laughs> and they were just—he was just kind of sitting on his hands the second half. That game a seven-point game, but it wasn't even that close. I mean, Purdue yeah. beat them badly. Isaiah came back and they scored thirty, but uh, again, about probably about fifteen of those that when after that game, that was probably a, in the NCAA tournament might've been Purdue's sweetest victory. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can, you can almost can't debate that. Uh, Nate, we're sorry that you weren't there to see that one, but uh, <laughs> the legend of Rick Mount, the legend of, you know, Rick Mount's game winning shot against Marquette, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> even though he had a poor shooting game that game, but he hit the, hit the one there. Of course, Chuck Mavis, uh, who had done very well against uh, in relative terms against Lou Alcindor in a game, the dedication game of Mackey and the season opener, 1968, 69 mm-hmm. season, it kind of held him down. Uh, you're right, Mark. Uh, that was a game that uh, really uh, without those guys, Jerry Johnson, Frank Kaufman had really tough for him to do. And, and Alcindor had a 37 and 20, almost like a Zach Eady game, right? The 37. <laughs> yeah. So from that standpoint, uh, 
know, Nate, you go back now and I want to, you know, 1998 was another one. We, and I, and I have to wait till, till life takes its, uh, we had, we had a special, a couple special things done, uh, ready to, if to cap, uh, from golden black perspective to capitalize, we thought in 98, Purdue had a chance to go Bruce Weber. We talked to him earlier this week, talked about that team being really with the Jerron Cornell injury in, during the season, that team just wasn't full speed. Stanford beats it and goes ends up going to the final four. They beat Purdue in the Sweet 16. Uh, 2000, I'm a memories of that. Uh, again, uh, Purdue uh, gets some help. I think Arizona went down in front of them. They had it. They go to Albuquerque and uh, have a really odd, you know, I think maybe it's a sixth seed, if I remember right. It was a right, right. That number. But uh, Nate, you're members of 2000. And, uh, and again, that game against Wisconsin that didn't go as well, but Purdue beat a, an upstart Gonzaga team to, in the Sweet 16 in that uh, uh, Albuquerque elevation. Yeah, by that time, I was a, a student intern in the Purdue SID office. And of course, it was a great time to be at Purdue with all the success football and women's basketball. And men's basketball had surprised everybody in 99, getting to the yeah. Sweet 16 unexpectedly. I think they yeah. beat Miami. And uh, and then the and 2000, Texas, right? yep. yeah, and the 2000 run, I, I, even though it was disappointing not making the final four, if you remember, it was kind of a fun run. And I think, you know, nobody had expected them to get that far. Then they beat Gonzaga and uh, get in that position. You knew it with you know, Dick Bennett would be a tough game. I think everybody was extra excited about the possibility of not only the Final Four, but it coming back to Indianapolis. Uh, and so that that was another thought, I think, in a lot of Purdue fans' minds. And then just Brian Cardinal, how he had yeah. endeared himself to our fan base uh, in West Lafayette with all of his uh, style of play over the years. And I think – there might have been looking back on it, Alan, a sense for Coach Katie, like, you know, how many more shots will he get at it? And I know Larry, uh, you know, Larry really wanted it bad for Gene that year because I think Larry knew, you know, how, there weren't going to be that many more chances probably for Coach Katie to get there and and to be that close, uh, you know, was heard a lot. But I, I'll never forget that Larry talked about just how classy Gene was to everyone he interacted with, even after the loss and signing autographs and, you know, shaking yep. hands and, and just, uh, you learned a lot about Gene and, and how he handled defeat. Yeah. Mark, where were you in 2000? I'm trying to think. Oh, I was covering the Pacers for the Indianapolis star. So yeah. I was on my way to covering the NBA finals in 2000. Yeah. And, you know, that team is certainly, uh, you're absolutely right. We were still traveling. If you can believe that with the team in those days. And I remember coming back on the flight, um, and you're right. We went to a restaurant because our after the game, and uh, we're way, our charter or whatever reason didn't come. And and just you know, Gene did did absolutely was graceful, and people were signing autographs. What do you want my autograph for? We just lost. You know, typical. <laughs> no, you don't want my autograph. And and you did, Nate. You're spot on. You knew you did. You know, you knew he had a little bit of runway left. But uh, it just didn't seem like that was that was his best chance. And against Wisconsin, we all kind of grew up. Uh, at least Mark and I, in, you know, Purdue beat Wisconsin what twenty five consecutive games. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Dick Bennett had gotten that team to a good level. And Wisconsin beat Purdue, I believe, three times or, the, or two two times. They beat them in the Big Ten tournament that year, and then of course in, in the and uh, in, in the uh, Elite Eight. But uh, Wisconsin, of all teams. 
in a game that uh, came down to this to, to the it was close at the end very close at the end Wisconsin had a hot shooting and I'm drawing a complete blank on his name Australian born uh three point shooter that hit two or three big threes I think it was Ke- it wasn't Kelly it uh, but uh, really hurt Purdue down the stretch uh, and that was a bitter, bitter loss just because of, I think, really more to do with Gene Cady. And Brian Cardinal, they had a very, we, I think, a cover of our magazine that week was was Cardinal sitting in the locker room by, by himself. Um, that Just that relationship with Gene Cady and, and Brian Cardinal was, was seen to be extra special. And Brian, as we all know, an extremely emotional player. Uh, but uh, just a, a hard one to swallow because you thought, and you're right, I'd forgotten it was Indianapolis. Michigan State obviously won the last Big Ten team to win the national championship, right? And and uh, they came home and and won in the uh, uh, RCA Dome or whatever, the Hoosier Dome or RCA Dome it was called at that time. But Nate, go ahead. You had, Alan, you had, uh, I was just going to add on that story, you, you end up, yeah, with, with two, two Big Ten teams. You were going to have two Big Ten teams either way in the right. final four there. In Indiana, Michigan State, you know, they were terrific. But the other thing I was going to say about that season was in that tournament that, that Gene Cady also etched himself into American cultural lore as David Letterman picked up on his hairstyling. Yeah, right. And then Gene, so they run with the top 10 list throughout the tournament and then give Gene that uh, live spot after the tournament was over, uh, right, reading the top 10 list. Uh, live on David Letterman, which so I, I think that which can still be found on YouTube. That kind of that is a classic. That, that especially for Big Ten fans, that cemented a piece of of Gene's cultural legacy forever. And just to make it factually correct, and why you can look up something, I was listening to what you were saying, Nate, but I looked it up. John Bryant was his name. Six of twelve hit six of twelve threes. He was from Australia and really daggered Purdue kind of down the stretch uh, uh, in in that game. All right, Mark, you had a, a unique opportunity, not only your 88 book, and and and, and but also uh, spending the season in 10 and 11 with with uh, the entire season with Matt Painter and company, as I recall. Uh, I, I, you know, it's hard to draw parallels, but it did seem, you know, the 87, 88 guys, at least, and I was working in the athletic department time, were about as good a guys as you could get. I mean, they just were nice people. They become, they're still are nice people. You know, you can't find better people than, than Troy Lewis and Everett Stevens and, and all the way down. Mel McCants, I think, is still living overseas, but he, Belgium, he, man. He's in Belgium. he couldn't uh, be a nicer guy and, and uh, et cetera. You know, it was a lot of the same with, the, you know, the 10-11 season. Uh, you had a, a team – Rob Hummel had, sustains his second injury, right? Uh, and yet, uh, so you left Juwan Johnson, Etuan Moore. To, didn't get the sense that team was going to go to the final four. It would be like a stretch, I should say. Um, you know, I remember the game that uh, Etuan Moore played against Ohio State, probably one of the very best performances in the history of Mackey Arena. I know Rick Mount points, right? Yeah, 61 points. But the way he played against uh, Ohio State was right, what, first or second at the time, and Purdue beats them. That was a good team that probably played, you know, didn't play well against VCU when it got beat. But talk about the memories of that season. And also maybe Matt Painter, you have to watch Matt Painter uh, front and center and how, I know it's been uh, 12 years, but uh, how that that team uh, dealt with the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it was a great experience, although nothing really happened that justified a book, you know, a book that would have sold. (laughs) Um, You could have written it, though. It was a great experience for me. I still have it in the back of my head that someday 
a book could be done on that season and tie it in with, okay, where are these guys today? You know, what yeah. became of these guys? But anyway, it was a great experience for me to follow that team and the next one when Rob played his fifth season. Um, but it didn't have, without Rob, it just was not a Final Four team, I don't think. You had Jawan Johnson, Big Ten Player of the Year, Etwan Moore, who wound up having a long NBA career. Um, and Jawan has played overseas a long time. So really good team, but um, just didn't quite have enough, I don't think. And I, it's kind of a common theme in my mind for Purdue teams that they will exceed expectations during the regular season because of their coaching, whether it's yeah. Gene Cade or Matt Painter. You get into the tournament, and in my mind, coaching has less to do with it. And it becomes it comes down to two things, athleticism and this who's got the hot hand, a break. Yeah. You know, somebody like you mentioned, the Wisconsin guy, you know, what, six to 12 from three point line. Somebody gets a hot hand on three pointers, somebody you don't expect has the game of his life or somebody has a cold shooting game or misses a key free throw, whatever. Fate takes over in those single elimination tournaments. And athleticism, athleticism, too. And most teams, in my mind, most Purdue teams have given up athleticism in the tournament. Yeah. They are rarely the more athletic team when you get to, you know, third round, fourth round, whatever, when you really get into the meat of the tournament. So now that team you're talking about, uh, yeah, yeah, lost to VCU. Um, Shaka Smart, right? So Yeah, Shaka Smart. Here came onto the national scene. Uh, you know, everybody thought he was a future superstar. Well, he's had three stops since then, right? I mean, yeah. he's uh, now at Marquette after a run at Texas. Uh, so you never know. But, you know, teams get hot at a certain time. They catch a little bit of luck. Fate's in their pocket. Um, these I don't even remember who VCU had, but they had a hot shooting game. Etwan Moore did not have his usual game then. I What I remember from that game is how – just really disappointed and sad Matt was for Etwan and Jawan. You know, he respected those guys so much. And he, I just remember he came in and sat down and didn't say a word for about six minutes. Yeah. Absolute silence in the locker room. And Matt took like six minutes and Elliot Bloom went over and told him, Hey, there's a rule. The media gets in here pretty soon. You know, you better <laughs> say something. So Matt got up and addressed the team, but he was just so, uh, brokenhearted over how that had finished for his senior players. Yeah, and again, guys, that uh, that common thread of not nice guys finished last, but because these guys obviously uh, were really, really competitive, didn't win the Big Ten in 2011, but a really good basketball team. And again, Etwan Moore, Juwan Johnson, Rob Hummel, well-documented this. Pretty good yeah. guys and really good people. Pretty good basketball players too. Nate, your recall, your recollection from eleven and uh, uh, in terms of that. Well, what I remember, uh, Alan, you were likely there. Uh, there was a Hall of Fame induction that, that I was blessed to to work on for Purdue, and uh, the setup was like this. I think Lewis Mitchell and Stevens were going in the Purdue Hall of Fame maybe together that mm -hmm. night, and and there was a moment there where you had you know, Lewis Mitchell and Stevens before Robbie had gotten hurt the, the second time that 
going into that fall, you had that Lewis Mitchell Stevens up on the stage. We're interviewing them and kind of almost passing the baton, you know, uh, to uh, Robbie and Juwan and Etwan. And your sense at that moment, I think it was early during football season, you know, but you're you're getting ready for practice and you just had that feeling like, all right, here's this great group of three passing the baton to this next great group and uh, maybe they can do it, you know, and then Robbie gets hurt and uh, just that feeling, uh, you know, in the fan base of, oh no, not again. And, and uh, it was a special moment though, at that particular night to watch you know, those three guys up there talking about Coach Katie and then looking down uh, at those three new players and, and what might be for the program. Yeah, certainly 2010, I think I would, I think we all would agree when Rob Humble had his first injury, that might have been a team that, that certainly had a team that was four, Final Four worthy. They were playing as good as anybody at that point in time when uh, he had the injury up in Minnesota. Purdue fans don't have to relive that all the time, and they don't want to. They don't want to hear it. But I will argue, and I'm not arguing with you, Mark. But in 19, which as of this recording, it's the four-year anniversary of a game that Purdue, a lot of Purdue fans have a hard time watching at the end of it, the Purdue Virginia game. Purdue did have have maybe you know Virginia wasn't a super athletic team, but they had they had all the parts. And, mm-hmm. and Carson Edwards did what you really have to do in the NCAA tournament. And that is have somebody who shot as we well documented twenty eight percent from three or whatever it was in Big Ten play played out of his mind. Uh, set to still I don't know if it's still the the NCAA tournament record through four games. Uh, in terms of three points, made three points uh, field goals. But again, and almost, it, and I don't mean to get uh, uh, biblical on it, it was almost an act of God that they didn't get, win that game. All the ball yeah. had to do was bounce one more time. It didn't. And Virginia ties the game in regulation and beats Purdue in overtime. But Mark, uh, uh, again, uh, you, that was an amazing game. We both have, Nate, I'm sure you do as well if you dare to relive it, uh, we all remember the Tennessee game and what a magical game that was for Ryan Klein, but, yeah. but uh, that game against Virginia was a tough one to swallow. It was, that was a heartbreaker. I just watched it on television. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, Ryan had that second free throw that, that if he hits that, it's a four point lead. Right. So that's a shame. It, the odd thing about that to me was usually when a guy has two free throws, they're more likely to miss the first and hit the second, but yeah. uh, that was the opposite there. And then just the fluke nature of their missed free throw and the ball gets tipped back and all the things that happened for Virginia to score that basket to force overtime, you know, total fluke. Um, and that we like the tournament because there's always upsets and unexpected things happening. Yeah. But when those things happen to the team you want to win, that is true. really <laughs> it's heartbreaking, right? Yeah. But uh, that's what makes the tournament exciting. And that was certainly an exciting game. If you didn't care who won that game, it was just an absolute thriller. Um, and, you know, related to Carson Edwards, you know, his three-point shooting in that series, in that tournament that year, you know, so often the games come down to three-point shooting. It would be interesting to look at all the games in this year's tournament and see no how many times the team that hit the most three-pointers won the game. That's got to be the vast majority. And maybe maybe it's the negative about college basketball or pro, whatever level today that is too reliant on three-point shooting but three-point shooting took Purdue a long way that year. Three-point shooting the last few times in the tournament has been, you know, the thorn in the foot for Purdue, the poor three-point shooting. So when people want to blame the coach uh, for a, a team struggles in the tournament, you know, 
you can't blame a coach for bad three-point shooting, I don't think. And if you're going to, then you got to give the coach credit for Carson Edwards' performance, right? You got to, it's got to work both ways. If you're going to blame a coach when a team shoots poorly from three, then it must be the coach's credit that a team shoots well from three. But Matt Painter didn't have any magic words for Carson Edwards that year in the tournament, just like he didn't do anything to cause the poor three-point shooting in this year's tournament. So uh, it's just, who knows? It's fate, it's luck, it's things you can't explain, it's human nature, it's a lot of things. Um, but it's usually not what people think it is, you know? Yeah. Well, I would argue, yeah, you know, it's funny, and uh, Nate, I'll come to you in a second, but they, the whole notion that um, Carson Edwards, of course, you know, did did what he did against not, Villanova, uh, obviously Tennessee, and then, of course, the game against Virginia, Carson Edwards, it was a confidence, and this is Matt Painter to a T, he had confidence enough in Carson Edwards. I had people and some of our wonderful readers wanting, you know, Carson Edwards shouldn't be playing because he was shooting so poorly in the late in the <laughs> play. You know, you're better off without him. He's, 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 he's wrecking what you're trying to do. He being Carson Edwards and he puts on the, the kind of, kind of run that he did, you know, and, and been well-documented, of course, the Fairleigh Dickinson game five for 26. And it was a game of wide open. It was a game of horse. Uh, it really was. And they pretty just mm -hmm. couldn't make shots. Uh, and Purdue lost its confidence, but the common thread and, and maybe a criticism, I don't think it's fair, but I do think it's a criticism is well, he stuck with those guys, but that's what Matt Painter tends to do. I'm talking about uh, Smith lawyer. The lawyer did have a couple threes in that game, but he, uh, the game fairly Dickinson game, but Mason Gillis, we all saw him hit nine threes against Penn state. You know, he's one for seven, just not a game that, uh, he typically has. And I think it was really indicative at the end of that game when he looks right, looks left and then shoots an air ball. Uh, yeah. That uh, was very strange. Nate, uh, now that I've set that up, anything else you no, want to I, add to that? I was just thinking, you know, about, <laughs> Excuse uh, me. I, I just, again, reiterate, if you haven't read Mark's column that he put out recently. It we'll was, link that to this too, yeah. It's really sensational. And I think it captures how a lot of the deep long-term uh, Purdue fans feel. I think there's a lot of more casual Purdue fans that were, you know, quite shocked and uh, offended by the, the recent happenings, but those that know deeper uh, and, and certainly have great respect for what this team accomplished during the regular season and, and has throughout Matt's era, take the longer view. And I thought, you know, Mark, you, you just did a great job pointing out that you do have to take the long view. And, and in that sense, um, I think your column kind of opens up some questions about in general, you know, for the big 10, maybe to look at it uh, itself. And, and on the big 10, I was looking before we recorded this back in 22, 21 and 19, you know, the big 10 is a league for as many teams as it's gotten in. And there's been some struggles there and uh, it just continues to be, it's been Michigan state 2000 being the last one as a league, you know, what does it take to get in a, in a position to, succeed here at a different level and get back to maybe where you have two big 10 teams in a final four. Well, you have tonight's game because where this is going to air on Monday night, you know, you're going to have somebody either that uh, again, good, good shooting teams that got hot at the right time. Uh, it's, it's definitely that way in the tournament from that standpoint, Mark closing comments, anything else that you want to add? I, I, I do think one, I want to ask you about Matt, just because, that six-minute quiet after the 2011 game, you can only imagine 
uh, how he's felt in, for his team this year and, and other years when he's had, you know, this year he only had one, in essence, one senior that played that's going to be leaving. But uh, it is hard on the coach. And and I understand with the coaching contracts, people say, well, that's just you get paid, you get paid to win and win in, in the NCAA tournament. But uh, this has been a been a hard one, to, certainly to, to deal with. But you're right about one thing. It's young guards and as good as Lawyer and Smith were for a, much of this season. There aren't many teams left in the NCAA tournament that have any uh, that are playing freshman guards, and that seems to be clear. Yeah, experience means so much in the tournament and athleticism. I would go back to that word a lot, too. Yeah. You know, uh, a quicker team is going to have a big advantage. If that quick team can shoot well, it's got a huge advantage in this in this era of basketball with the predominance of the three-point shot. I still think it's great to have a guy like Zach Eady. I don't mind playing through him, but you have to have three-point shooters to go with him. And uh, certainly Purdue did not have that in the tournament this year. So that's a frustration. I guess as a closing thought, I would encourage fans to keep in mind the bigger picture of college basketball and the program. And I could tell you because of the time I spent with Matt Painter and Gene Katie, that Purdue had a clean program. And fans don't want to think about that when they're losing a tournament game to a 16 seed. I realize that. But it brings in the question, what do you really want? Would you rather have a coach cheat and get you a national championship? Do it that way, as certainly some schools have done. Uh, or, you know, do you want to have an upstanding program with players that you respect and coaches who do things the right way? and maybe fall short. Obviously, you want it both ways. <laughs> you want yeah. a moral program that goes all the way, but that's a difficult thing to pull off sometimes. So I would just say that, you know, those two coaches who I've been around a lot at Purdue uh, are, have done things the right way. Alan, you know, the players, 90% uh, of them at least have been really good guys that you enjoy being around. I might add, you know, like I still – keep in touch with some of those guys from the 88 team. I'd say over the last six months, I had occasion to talk to Steve Scheffler and Everett Stevens. I ran into Trone Johnson two days ago, going into lifetime fitness down here. I'll yeah. be seeing him again soon. So that's been a real joy for me is to kind of follow these guys through life and be able to stay in touch with them from time to time and maybe have an occasion to write something about them. Um, so this, you know, I guess it's easy for me as a journalist and not a fan to yeah. look at it more objectively and less emotionally. And uh, that's why I love, you know, basketball, pro and college. I understand a fan's perspective is different. You know, you want the wins, but you know what? If you're not on the team, you've got to just feel bad for the guys on the team and respect what they do and what they're going through. It's not about the fans having something to brag about at work the next day. It's about the experience these guys are going through and uh, try to, Take a step back occasionally, you know, pull for the team, but uh, keep in mind who this is really all about. Well, that's those that's that's good. Use you're supposed to use common sense and 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 empathy and words that don't, don't come in the don't, don't aren't used a lot in the world of uh, nil uh, betting transfer portal all those things that are now different uh, than we're. And Nate, and I'm not going to ask you to divulge uh, because you've had a relationship with Matt Painter, uh, not only from a business relationship time to time, but also have known him for years. But one thing I think, uh, and, and Mark kind of hit on this, well, 
takes his losses hard, but he also is a guy that is willing to look at himself and say, all right, what is the common thread for these last three games, uh, losing to double-digit seeds? What do we have to fix? Uh, just from, from a broad stroke of what you know about Matt, uh, how does he internalize this and maybe and, and move forward? Well, you just first thing you have to know is he's awfully smart. Yeah. And uh, they'll analyze it, and he has some really sharp people around him, too that are loyal and uh, you know, Matt's very loyal. And uh, those are qualities not always in, in large supply uh, in this world at times. And so uh, I've come to admire that about him very much, not just how smart he is, but his loyalty and uh, they'll figure it out. And I think we also need to always reflect on Matt took the job when he was what, 36 years old, Alan. I mean, uh, he's, he's already one of the all time winningest big 10 coaches and in, in, in my mind, still a young man in a lot of ways. And so to think that his, uh, his moral base is set, but his best coaching could still very much be ahead of him. And I, I have every reason to think that it will be, but I think he also is the kind of guy that there are uh, if he ever, you know, he could be a great color commentator if he ever didn't want to do it anymore. But I, I think he's very set in the sense of you might get him to adjust some basketball strategy, but you're not going to get him to adjust himself very much in, in any uh, way just to please the crowd. He, who he is is very fixed, and um, he's going to uh, do it as long as he can at Purdue University, but he's going to do it a certain way and uh, and live with those results. And I think for a lot of Purdue's uh, longtime fans, um, that, that's a pretty good uh, way to go. Yeah, no doubt. All right, guys, thanks so much uh, for your time. Uh, we didn't solve anything here, uh, but we had a lot of fun talking about it and going back to memory lane because uh, it is an interesting story. It is an interesting track record. Uh, there have been good moments. There haven't been as many as Purdue fans would like here of late, but uh uh, who knows what will happen in 23-24. Guys, thanks again. Thanks to Chariot Auto Group as well, Nate Barrett and company. We appreciate that. Mark Monteith. Uh, tell uh, Mark, obviously, Passion Play you can still get uh, if you're interested. I assume you can watch get it on Amazon. And also you've got a you've got a book on the on the Pacers that came out uh, what, two years ago. Because I always say two years. I think it's something two years ago. No, it's it might 2017. Yeah. So, so, okay, that's what I said. Two, yeah. two years <laughs> six. So, yeah. uh, but your any other projects that you have working that you're working on in this moment? Yeah. Well, you can get Passion Play or reborn on my website, markmonteith.com. I got to tell you, I only got about a dozen copies of Passion Play left. Hey, I we mean, started about a half dozen in the office if you ever run out, my friend. Okay. <laughs> you know, I know you could get it as a used book on Amazon yeah. probably, but as far as new copies that I've kept over the years, I'm running down. I, I still sell it. Uh, I did Reborn, which just covers the history of the Pacers from the beginning, uh, how it came together and how it got off the ground. And I am working, as time permits, on a book that covers the Pacers championship teams, focusing on key players such as Billy Keller, Rick Mount, George McGinnis, some of the other guys, really getting into their biographies. I spent a lot of time with Keller and Mount and some of these other guys to, uh, for that book's purpose. Yeah, and also markmonteith.com, I believe, right? And yeah, yeah. And uh, you can subscribe there. Some of the Really, you've done it – it's a favor really because some of the interviews you have although i always go back to the ones of people that are that are no longer with us the bob kings others that that that's a vault of uh, really great stuff and obviously from the purdue perspective but many other uh 
people over the history of yeah. a lot of interviews with Purdue greats over the years. And you mentioned I got a video, complete games of a couple of Rick Mount games, including the first one at Mackey and that Marquette game. I got the entire game, not the TV broadcast, but the coaches scouting video there yeah. at markmonteith.com. You can go back and watch those games. That's awesome. Yeah, crazy. And that one, when people want to say that Mackey Arena is a great place, it got off to a great start. Oh, yeah. Back in 1967, I think it has everything to do with why the standard was set. And you could, it's still on probably on the Mount Rushmore of best games in that facility all these years later, just because. It's number one, in my opinion, nothing's yeah, yeah. been bigger. Yeah, it's just been an incredible uh, situation. Of course, UCLA beats Purdue on a last second shot by Bill Sweet from uh, just across the timeline, but uh, unbelievable. <laughs> Year. So uh, that was my that was my uh, eight eight year old birthday present. So that was a good one. That was a good one. All right, guys, we'll close it up. Thanks again so much to Chair and Auto Group, and we'll do this again next month. We'll come up with another good topic, and we appreciate uh, your guys' time. Have a great rest of, of your evening, and and if you're watching us in the night of the national championship, enjoy that as well.